2: And we are back live with another edition of the Work-Life Balance. Uh, Took the week off last week so that I could attend the Battle at Bristol, which was an amazing feat of uh, project management and just uh, sheer excitement. Uh, If you guys don't know what I'm talking about, uh, they took the Bristol Motor Speedway and turned it into a football stadium so it could be the largest football game ever attended. So me and 156,990 of my closest friends uh, watched Tennessee versus Virginia Tech live uh, on Saturday night, uh, which was just an amazing feat. I, I can't believe that they pulled that off. Uh, it truly was uh, really without a hitch from a fan perspective, um, except for uh, the enormous drive home and getting back into Knoxville at about five in the morning. Uh, but what a fantastic week. So we did battle the Bristol um Got to visit some clients in South Carolina, was at uh, the Project Management Institute in Milwaukee uh, on Wednesday night at their event, uh, and what a fantastic group they are. Uh, I've been to Milwaukee several times uh, speaking for, for that group, uh, and always warm, always wonderful. Um, had uh, some things that, that never happened to me before through traveling, uh, but maybe we'll get into some of those stories a little bit later. Uh, but uh, as always, you can reach me at at Rick A. Morris, uh, on Twitter. We just launched uh, my personal website. You can go to www.rickamorris.com and find all of our past episodes of Voice America here in the Work-Life Balance, uh, as well as see some videos of me speaking, keep up with where I'm going to be, and find out about uh, the latest happenings of what's happening in our lives. Also, uh, visit us at www.rsquaredconsulting.com. And as always, hit me up on Facebook or, or LinkedIn. Uh, so today, what we're going to be discussing about—don't have any guests today. It's just going to be me. We're just going to be hanging out. But uh, I've got a really hot topic uh, that's just kind of on my mind. And as you guys know, I love to speak from the heart. Uh, and wanted to discuss the the topic of employee productivity. And uh, so as, as I as I move around uh, business and the consulting world and, and things of that sort, I wanted to discuss this. And. Uh, as I saw a figure come out today, I know it came out a few weeks ago, but the Bureau of Labor Statistics you know, does studies and releases official labor productivity numbers. And it's amazing as we see these trends go through it, and certainly as my focus is the work-life balance, it's amazing what the numbers are doing right now. And and it, it falls in line with a lot of the stuff that I like to profess when we're starting to talk about project management. And so I'll just read like one of the sectors. If you look at, at the manufacturing sector, the output per hour for the average person, and, and certainly in the industry as they look at these labor statistics, they're saying that the output per hour dropped 0.4%. So the, the amount that they're actually producing and doing and working, the the overall productivity in the output per hour went down 0.4%. But the hourly compensation went up 6.3%. And and the unit labor cost, so the labor that it takes just to produce a single unit, uh, went up 6.7% in the second quarter of 2016. This is just in the second quarter of 2016. And, And the output overall... Not just the output per hour, but the output overall dropped 0.8%. And and the hours of all persons actually uh, uh, dropped 0.4%. If you look at it in in the business sector, the output per hour dropped 0.6%. The hourly compensation rose 3.7%. Unit labor costs rose 4.3%. The output rose 1.1%, while the hours of all persons rose percent rose 1.7%. I'm going to stay there for a second again, and I know there's a lot of numbers. So hourly compensation, which most people think, hey, if you pay me more money, I'll be happier, which we all know that that's not true. The output per hour dropped 0.6%, while the hours of all persons rose 1.7%. So we stayed 1.7% longer to produce 0.6% less per hour so if you think about it an eight hour day eight hour today in in keeping the math uh, normal let's say we produce a unit an hour so that's eight units Um, in this case we stayed 9.7 hours 9.7 hours and for those of you that that are driving or or whatnot if uh, if that's you know the case then at the 9.7, we only produce 5.82 units. So common logic says, well, if, if we're doing 8 units in 8 hours, we should do 9.7 units in 9 hours. But but according to these statistics, and of course these are just rough numbers, but according to these statistics, in 9.7 hours, we produce 5.82 units. That, that, that's, that's incredible. And... and when we start to think about the work-life balance and what we need to be doing to produ- produce and protect and look at these people, um, is working longer hours or shorter hours the, the answer? And, and, of course, you know, it's never as simple of an answer as that. But I did want to dive into some of these productivity numbers and start talking about some of the prevailing theories that are out there. And so if you start to look at some of these companies that are really starting to dive in to shorter work days, and, and we covered one of the the you know the longboard company. Um, in one of my earlier shows, but as you look at it, you know Sweden did a big thing um, at one point. But um, you know, I, I came across an article on Forbes, and, and the article is actually titled "Employee Productivity Declining: Who's to Blame?" And, and they talk about this guy Sam, and they said a recent conversation that they had with a senior manager expressed confusion, and it said exposed a, a perfect example. And they said Sam comes into work every day determined to be productive. He has for the last three years. He's typically the first into the office and the last to leave, and he's busy the whole day. In fact, his co-workers always invite him to join him for coffee, and he always declines. He doesn't take breaks. He skips unnecessary meetings and even takes lunch at his desk. Day in and day out, his consistency never fails. He never misses a deadline and diligently completes every task. On paper, Sam is perfect. But the manager paused as she told them about Sam. She said, but his work is always the same. Now, if you guys have listened to me for long enough, uh, I talk about DISC profiles. And DISC profiles talk about the high D, high I, high S, high C. Sam is certainly a high S. High S stands for steady. High S is sociable. High S means don't rock the boat. Don't change. Status quo is exactly where I want to be. The problem with status quo and the problem with his work being exactly the same is we never innovate. We never change. We never move forward. So we had slight technical difficulties there. We're back. We are going to go right to break and figure out what's going on. We'll be right back with you on the work-life balance. You're listening to Rick Morris.
1: Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery?
0: Today, every business is in the software business, and business is booming. That's because we live in an application-driven world, where the lines between physical and digital are blurrier every day. It's a world where billions of connected things talk to each other. Where agility is the new driver of competitive advantage. Where applications aren't just part of your brand, they are your brand. All of this means you have a new mandate build the apps that will drive the future of your business and satisfy demanding customers, or fall behind. Only CA Technologies has the years of expertise and the end-to-end portfolio of software solutions to help you plan, build, manage, secure, and scale the applications at the heart of your modern enterprise. To learn how your business can thrive, visit rewrite.ca.com, your exclusive source for insights from the cutting edge of the application economy.
1: At one 472 5790 Again, that's one 472 5790 If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the work-life balance.
2: All right, we're back. And uh, with the love of technology, we're hopefully on. Um, so, we were talking employee productivity and we just talked about the Bureau of Labor Statistics and starting to go through really the whole employee productivity thing. And there's that huge theory out there that says, Hey, if we work more in longer hours, we're going to get more done. And and I'll give you some personal theories on that and what, what I think through that. And I see this happen all the time in, in projects is, you know, the, the theory of nights and weekends. It's a question that I ask all the time. Do we have to work nights and weekends? And, in what, what I've noticed, certainly here in the United States, is that what nights and weekends used to be something that was reserved for those highly strategic projects, it was things that you know had to get done, and now, certainly with the economy uh, the way it was, certainly uh, a few years ago, it's certainly rebounding now, but people feel like if they're not putting in these extra hours or not showing that, that, that uh, their, their jobs are on the line. But just because we're at work longer doesn't mean that we're being more productive. And certainly the statistics are, are backing that up. And, and what I've noticed is if we certainly mandate that you're at work longer, the productivity goes way down because what we end up doing is sitting around the water cooler and talking about how much we hate being at work so long versus being highly productive and, and focused on what we're doing. And so there's some, some studies that, that support this theory. Um, and, and, you know, some of those can be found on BBC. Some of those can be found on Forbes.com. Um, and one of the ones in reference is uh, on BBC.com uh, and is titled Do Shorter Work Days Really Work? And uh, this one was talking about um, uh, the Amazon.com's working conditions and BBC Capital was looking uh, at a piece that they had and it was talking about uh, Royce Leather in Secaucus, New Jersey. And so in, in this particular case, um, Royce Leather uh, was used to having their employees work nine or ten hours a day to uh, produce their their material, their, their, their product. And uh, they had a 15-person assembly line. And what they did is uh, the, a younger person took over and, and looked at that and said, you know, I, I want to really increase productivity. So he took his 15-person assembly line. And cut the workday t- about two to three hours. Still let them have their breaks uh, and 45 minutes for lunch. And he also increased their compensation by about 15%. And his goal was really to boost efficiency. Um, not really to, to cut payroll, but to boost efficiency. So he, he gave them a little bump in pay and cut their, their hours. And uh, so switching to a seven-hour workday uh, really paid off. Their output went up. The line was turning up. about 15% more merchandise per day, and that was unbelievable, and and most of the people really appreciated getting home earlier, and so their work lives improved, they really enjoyed uh, being there, there was a new profound sense of company ownership. Um, and, and that was just a great success story. And and we've seen a lot more of these types of success stories where they start to really truly value their employees and, and, and invest in their employees and, and the payoffs and dividends is in true output. Um, you know, shorter work days are really making headlines, you know, in, in Sweden, um, they had an entire city begin a year long experiment with six hour days and, um, that seemed to be pretty successful, but you see some negative consequences on that too because it's got to be a whole cultural change. So in the case of Sweden, while there were some successes, there were some failures there as well because what was happening there was while you're cutting the hours, you know, unlike a manufacturing line where we're churning out product and we can do things like that, sometimes maybe like in a professional services environment – um, what was happening is the workload itself wasn't a transactional workload, meaning we, while cutting it down to a six-hour day, I still had eight, nine, ten hours worth of work I had to do. But by mandating a six-hour day, what that was doing was adding stress to the people. And so now they were kind of uh, – it had an adverse reaction to them because they were trying to get their normal workload done within a six-hour day. And so that added way too much stress, and and they were actually petitioned to have the six-day, uh, the six-hour day restriction removed. So there's certainly all kinds of of impacts that we have to look at from an employee productivity standpoint. So when we start to do that, what are some of those impacts? How do we really truly improve the the productivity of our people? And it and it comes to that entire thought pattern and the reason why I created this show what is the work-life balance and one of the key things that we have to do is understand how our employees and how our people are motivated you know, I took over this project a long time ago uh, I was at, at Xerox at the time and, and we had a, a project that really just had to turn out we had to get it done and I had two developers that were working on it and what was happening we had a client that was very demanding um, it was one of those things that we, our due date was as soon as possible. It really was, there wasn't really a defined due date. It was, you know, if, if we could have it done tomorrow, that's the best possible answer. So every day that went, you know, beyond that was causing more and more stress. And so when I met with the two developers, they were very upset. Both of them were because the what, they they were just feeling like they were running in a hamster wheel and they were never going to get finished. And so I needed to find out what was going to motivate them so we could find out really how I could get them energized to complete their tasks. So the first person I dealt with, what he was saying was, look, if I turn out extra lines of code, I don't even see another dime. So what he was really interested in was overtime. He wanted to get compensated for more if he was working longer than eight hour days. And uh, so we came up with a, a kind of a bonus structure of saying, look, I can't have you just extending time so that you get into overtime so that you can be paid more. So what we're going to do is estimate your tasks and I'll plan you an eight hour day based on your estimates. But then if you complete additional tasks above and beyond that, that's going to accelerate our schedule, then you get bonuses to do that. And I offered that to our other developer and he had no interest in that. And I said, so what, what what interests you? And he says, "Man, to get out of here, I, I you know I'm tired of working all these additional hours, and I don't have any life outside of this office. I want to go see my friends. I want to go hang out with them. And so the deal I made with him was, look, okay, I've got to be able to count on the work that you know you say you're going to do. So the same thing for you. I will plan an eight hour day for you based on your estimates. But if you complete your estimates early. Then take off, and I'll pay you for the eight-hour day. And and again, offered the same deal to the other guy, and the other guy wasn't interested. So I had these two deals in place, but it was based on their motivations. One was motivated by money. The other one was motivated by completing an honest 8 hours day of work, but being able to go home and hang out with friends. And our productivity went through the roof. I was getting 10, 12 hours uh, of coding productivity from them per day. And, and developer one was staying you know, 10, 12, 14 hours a day, but was happy as punch because he was getting the extra uh, monetary compensation that came with that, and that's what he wanted. Developer number two was actually coming in early, working through lunch, working through breaks, but he was gone by like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. But I was getting more than I expected from him on a daily basis because he was highly productive. He knew if he came in and knocked out the tasks that we had outlined for him that he could go home. And so just understanding what motivated them and, and what they really cared about allowed us to drive that project home. And so to me, understanding the motivation of people and understanding and building a structure that satisfies them is one of the keys in driving employee productivity. So how to motivate employees, understanding their motivation, and, and what really drives and pushes them. So I ask you, when you're in your daily job, you have different energy levels. You have different times and when you're working where you're highly motivated and you're really excited to get something done and when you're not, what is that tap-in potential for you? I mean, everybody says it's... I, I hear so many times, oh, it's money, it's salary. I want to make more money. And... and one of my favorite books is uh, Positive Intelligence by, by Deepak Chopra, and, and he talks about goal setting and that, that kind of stuff. The problem with goal setting, and John Maxwell says it too, is that everybody says, like, well, when I get that six-figure salary, I'll be happy. When I make seven-figure salary, I'll be happy. When I get that big house, I'll be happy. Or When I get that car, I'll be happy. The problem is, is when you set a goal like that and you actually do attain it, happiness doesn't come. You're not really happy. So, you got the car, and the, yeah, so what? The instant gratification. You drive it for a couple of weeks, and then it just becomes a car. Yeah, you got the house. that's awesome. For a month or so, you're really happy, and then it just becomes the house. Yeah, you got the salary. For a while, you can buy some cool things, and then it just becomes a salary you want more. The happiness isn't attained by attaining those goals, it was the driver, the motivation to get there that was really motivating you, that you were really seeking it. And so you've got to find out what that motivation is, and you can really go. So we're going to take a a, a break here, and we're going to come right back. Uh, When we come back, we'll start talking about some of the other factors that really drive employee productivity. And certainly willing to to hear from you guys, hit me up on Twitter, uh, dial into the show. We'd love to hear uh, your thoughts on employee productivity, what really drives them. And uh, you're listening to the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris.
1: Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com.
0: This is not a radio ad. It's a collection of computers, servers, transmitters, satellites, and receivers, all powered by the most transformative force in business today, software. Just think about how many applications you have within reach at this very moment, and not just on your phone. If you're in your car, Software is powering the GPS that guides you. Turn left ahead. The digital road signs that direct you onward. And the engine computer that keeps you moving. Soon, software will even replace you as the driver. Switching to auto-drive mode. This is life in the application economy. And the opportunities for businesses are endless. But only if you have the tools to seize them. From planning to development, to management to security. End-to-end software solutions from CA Technologies can help your business succeed in this new application-driven world. Learn how at rewrite.ca.com.
1: Are you getting the most out of your project management software? Again, that's one If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the work-life balance.
2: All right, we're back. And today we're discussing employee productivity and, and just different ways to improve that and some different theories around that. And, and one of the theories I want to get into it, and it actually goes to one of my favorite stories um, and I'll share with you my my failure and my success within that story. Um, is the power of praise? So I mean, a huge important tool for motivating employees and getting them really and raising their productivity is praise. And and, and it's such an effective technique. And I'm not talking about false praise. I'm not talking about walking around just hey man, good job, whatever, right? It's it's effective praise. And really learning how to cultivate that that worker motivation, it, it, and it's largely ignored by managers in the workplace, and, and it's an extremely useful method for giving an individual worker a sense of worth in relation to the actual work being done, and, and praise has, in countless examples, been shown to dramatically increase productivity. I mean, there's countless studies out there that shows that just the simple reward and, and power of praise can raise employee productivity. And so when I was building a team at the bank, I had a, a, a project office at the bank, I wanted to, to try to tap into this. And, and so I was trying to find a way that that somehow weekly we could just take a moment and, and really reward everybody. And uh, so, so a great friend of mine and, and great person, uh, Wayne Brady at the time, uh, was on the show Whose Line Is It Anyway? And so one of the big things about Whose Line Is It Anyway, if you've ever seen the show, they said, we're all the point... Uh, where all the points are made up and the points don't matter, and so I wanted something fun and, and something for employee recognition, and and so we we came up with this this employee points system in our team meeting, and what I wanted to have happen was have you know these points get awarded, and and have them really not mean anything at the end of the day about how many points you got, but but making sure that everybody awarded points to other team members every week in in our team meetings for doing positive things, looking for positive things. And so let's talk about my failure first in doing this system. When I first rolled out this system, it it was reviewed negatively. Um, First of all, whenever you do something like this, you're going to have several employees going, man, that's stupid. I don't want to do that. And that's fine. That's fine. Everything you do as a manager, somebody's going to think is stupid until it works. But when I first did this, uh, I was awarding points as a manager, and that had a negative connotation because if I forgot to award certain points to somebody that I awarded some points to somebody else the week prior, then I, was, it, the, I, I wasn't valuing that, that other employee as well as I should have. Um, or if I gave somebody too many points for something and, – and to me, I'm a high-I personality. High-I personality is a creative – type who isn't into all the details so i wasn't awarding points to somebody because i forgot that i awarded points to somebody else two weeks ago about that well if somebody on my team was a high c personality who's into all these details they don't ever forget that junk and then they start thinking well he doesn't like me as much or he didn't remember or he values that person more than he values me and so it was backfiring on me so i very very quickly removed myself from this equation and said, you know what? I don't need to be awarding points. I'm not a part of this game, but I want the game to continue. So that was my failure in this situation. I wanted the praise to happen and I would give praise as a manager, but I wouldn't award points in this particular system. And so what we did is we said, okay, everybody's going to put money into a pot. And we, we chose like $10. So everybody puts $10 into the pot um, every, every month. And then we're going to award all these points and whoever has the most points at the end of the month gets to decide how we spend the money, but the money has to go towards something as a function for the team. So that's what we did. Well, what ended up happening is the team started to have to focus on capturing other team members and doing something good every week. So, You would have to, knowing that you were going to come in every Monday and have to reward points to other team members, you would have to start to capture your teammates doing something positive for you so that you could award points. And the end result of this, as silly as it was and as stupid as the game sounds is that they would just, you know, at at the end of their status updates would turn around and say, "Well, I award 25,000 points to this person because they helped me run this meeting and 10,000 points to this person because they helped me move stuff from my car to my desk." And you know, just little things, but they were thanking each other. And they were building a very strong team. Well, what started happening externally is that the team was building a bond and they started doing everything together they were going to lunch together they were always hanging out with each other They was always having a tremendous amount of fun there wasn't all the infighting that generally was happening with teams and so we were on a floor with with like a hundred people and my team was nine of those hundred people well the other 91 people were like starting to look and go wow i want to be a part of that team why do they have so much fun and then once a month we were going to you know out to lunch together we'd go bowling on our lunch break or you know we would do you know little things with that money and then my team started to get really bored with spending the money on themselves so they started donating it to charity and doing different things with the money um that we were donating in uh as part of the team so it, it started to really kind of grow and organically become bigger than themselves and it was it was really really cool to see what happened and it all came from this very, very simple concept of, I just want you guys to recognize the good that you do for each other. That was the power of praise. And to this day, some of those people are still very, very good friends, and they've moved on to other uh, companies, and some of them are running their own companies now, And but they are still very, very tightly bonded, um, and some of them are very, very good friends, and you know, some of them didn't dig the game, and that's fine. The point is is that very simple power of praise, I watched that productivity jump. I watched that team bond jump, and, and I watched them become this cohesive unit that that would just jump in and help each other out, always, you know being a part of it. Um, and they were they were definitely nine strangers when we got started. so it was it was an amazing thing to watch and and I'd love to sit back and take credit for it, but you can't because they took it and just made it their own and embraced something that they they were willing to do. And so when that's happening, um, you're, you're building a culture. And, and I've said it before, it's a Maxwell quote, but culture eats vision for lunch. So you could say from a vision standpoint, we want to build a culture where everybody's you know, helping each other out. But then in your team meetings, if, if you're allowing everybody to dog each other or if you're rewarding employees for stabbing each other behind the back, then your culture that you're building is eating your vision for lunch and that is an absolute killer of employee productivity again think about the times that you were the most productive and the least productive at your job what were the factors what were the factors i guarantee you when you were the most highly productive you felt valued you felt valued you came out of a meeting somebody said good job something happened you you just hit a major milestone something happened and man you rolled up your sleeves and got after it, man. You got at it. But it was a productive office environment. There was probably praise somewhere around you at that point, and, and you were getting things done. that That's what happens when you're highly productive. But if you're not feeling valued or you just got uh, – how about this? You just got disciplined. And, and not only that, but you feel like you got disciplined poorly or unfairly. If that's ever happened to you, how's your productivity then? What What's your productivity at the, at the workplace then? I can tell you it's happened many times in my career. I've got a mouth that, uh, as you've heard, doesn't quit, number one, but uh, thus being on the radio. But but I, I've got a mouth, too, that's gotten me in trouble, certainly younger in my career. And, and I've made a couple of career-limiting moves when I was younger. But I, I remember, you know getting pulled into a situation, getting blamed for something that that, that I didn't do and getting disciplined for it. And I remember going back to my desk and going, man, screw this company. I'm not – what? And I mean, for, for like two hours or three hours, not getting a thing done and contemplating, you know, that's when you're pulling up Monster, or the job boards, and that's when you start searching and all that kind of stuff. That, that kills productivity. That kills so making sure that, you know, when you're looking at the discipline side, when you're looking at, at coaching opportunities and that kind of stuff, and that's where I see young managers making huge mistakes, is, is when they're devaluing those employees and they're making them feel worthless. And again, that is an absolute 100% productivity killer. It's a productivity killer. Um, so I actually just got a tweet and I appreciate that. Uh, so, so people are asking, you know, some of the things. That, what makes great work, right? What makes great work? It, it, when we start to establish good work, great work, that kind of stuff. And it, th- that was a great question. And I appreciate that. Um, so, if you're if you're looking at that, what's great work, good work? You know, how do we measure certain those things? There was a a study that came out in Forbes, um, and. Uh, there, were, there was five skills, essentially, that, that came out and emerged. It, it was called the OC Tanner Study, um, and uh, the OC Tanner Study of Award-Winning Work. And, and they were looking at, at different skills of, of really employee productivity and, and things that were really making valuable employees. And And there was really a bunch of different skills that they went through and, uh, and w- was trying to employ – I think they – Uh, interviewed 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 people, something like that, and and it was different levels. So they had employees, um, their managers, and then like the beneficiaries of the people that were doing it. Um, And so what they were trying to do was try to clarify the skills that were present when great work was achieved. What was happening? What was the productivity mix? What was going on within those employees when great work itself was being achieved? So here's what they found. Uh, One, uh, the first skill they saw was ask the right question. So uh, the right types of questions were being asked within this session. So um, they said two forms of asking um, what people would love uh, showed up strongly in the questionnaires among employees. One is I thought carefully about what would really make a difference, or I gave a lot of thought to what outcome would delight the recipient of the work. So something like that. So really... I'm, again, it comes back to valuing the person. Um, I, I, I'm thinking about you. What I, I thought about how this would impact you. You know, things, you know, leading statements into that when you're asking questions, but asking the right types of questions. Um, another skill is what they what they said: see for yourself. So. What was happening is, instead of waiting for somebody to come to you and tell you what to do, was really actively seeking the importance for looking to understand the work from the recipient's point of view um, versus just assuming you knew what was going on and and kind of seeing for yourself. And and that's a huge thing that, that happens in a consultant workspace, is making sure that you're seeing the problem or seeing the view from the other side. So when great work is occurring and people are being highly productive, they're they're acknowledging the other point of view. They're they're seeing the other side, right? And that that leads to high productivity and great point. I'll give you my little two cents on that. Uh, coming back to nights and weekends, you know, when I have executives that are mandating nights and weekends all the time, one one of my favorite questions to ask them, and again, I'm a high I, I can get away with it, but I go, hey, great, you're going to be here. You know, you're going to bring pizza because, I mean, if it's that important to you, uh, you know, I hope that, you know, you'll be here from a leadership perspective to show them how important it is to you. Or is the expectation that these 40 people are giving up their weekend while you're not? Right. That's that's a huge motivating factor for me is if it's so important, then my expectations, you're going to be here, too. Um, Third thing that popped out of this was uh, talk to your outer circle. So the value of talking to people that are outside of what's happening as well. Um, it's something that, that I've really worked hard on cultivating over the last few years, but having a great group of people that are not so much my inner circle, but my outer circle. Um, people that I trust, but that aren't in the day-to-day activities with me so that I can get that fresh perspective. Um, when great work is happening, you improve the mix. Um, improve the mix, um, is again, if I've got a team full of Sam's, as we were talking about before, and really that disc profile again is something that I continue to discuss all the time. Um, but having different, uh, prevailing views. So, so we did a whole, I did a whole thing on group think. Uh, and again, you can go to, uh, rickamores.com or voiceamerica.com and listen to that episode. Um, but making sure that we have competing ideas so that we just don't all go along with the norm. And finally, when great work is happening, uh, we're looking at delivering the difference. Um, so making sure that they're involved and engaged as the work product was delivered and implemented is, is um, very, very high um, in feeling that ownership. So those are five things and five skills that were happening when great work was happening. So just to run through it again, was asking the right question, Seeing the other side, you know, see for yourself, talking to your outer circle, improving the mix, uh, and delivering the difference. And that came from the O.C. Tanner study of award-winning work, Uh, and you can find that out on um, either octanner.com or or through forbes.com. But a great study and great insight into how do we go from an employee productivity standpoint from good work to great work and really improving that metric. So, I've thrown a lot at you. We're going to go ahead and take another pause right here, take a break, and we'll come back for the final segment of the Work-Life Balance.
0: Today, every business is in the software business. And business is booming. That's because we live in an application-driven world where the lines between physical and digital are blurrier every day. It's a world where billions of connected things talk to each other, where agility is the new driver of competitive advantage, where applications aren't just part of your brand, they are your brand. All of this means you have a new mandate. Build the apps that will drive the future of your business and satisfy demanding customers, or fall behind. Only CA Technologies has the years of expertise and the end-to-end portfolio of software solutions to help you plan, build, Manage, secure, and scale the applications at the heart of your modern enterprise. To learn how your business can thrive, visit rewrite.ca.com, your exclusive source for insights from the cutting edge of the application economy. This is not a radio ad. It's a collection of computers, servers, transmitters, satellites, and receivers, all powered by the most transformative force in business today, software. Just think about how many applications you have within reach at this very moment. And not just on your phone. If you're in your car, software is powering the GPS that guides you. Turn left ahead. The digital road signs that direct you onward and the engine computer that keeps you moving. Soon, software will even replace you as the driver. Switching to auto drive mode. This is life in the application economy and the opportunities for businesses are endless. But only if you have the tools to seize them. From planning to development, to management to security, end-to-end software solutions from CA Technologies can help your business succeed in this new application-driven world. Learn how at rewrite.ca.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
1: You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now back to the Work-Life Balance.
2: All right, we're back, and we've been spending this hour talking about employee productivity and how uh, how to improve it. Let's talk a little bit about uh, what really kills it. What really kills employee productivity? And and you know, it's so funny because what people will jump to right out of the gate is well, you know, the internet, surfing the web, and and devices, and and all the different things that distract us, and certainly that can can hurt it, uh, but not as people think. Uh, you know, I've certainly had employees that. Uh, spent their entire day on on the internet so it is true to a point um but you know sometimes even the over restriction of the internet can can be um hurtful to employee productivity and so let's talk about that for a second because um you know one of the key things there was a great article that came out in uh, business news daily um about uh things that kill productivity and um what they talk about there is degenerative moods. And so they say, that, you know, really there can be two moods in, in coming back to culture, eating vision for lunch. Um, but moods fall into one of two categories. They talk about generative or degenerative. And they said too many organizations today have a workplace culture um, marked by some combination of degenerative moods like distrust, resentment, resignation, cynicism, arrogance, or complacency. And so if you think about it, when, when you start thinking about the restriction of the internet and restriction of certain things, we get it to a point, you know, uh, there, there's certain things, obviously that should be restricted. But when you when you go on to the overly restrictive, where there's certainly convenience factors that that are necessary um, you know for for people to go about their day, right? So, so there's times that personal things occur, While you're at the workplace, you know something happened at the house, and you got to pay a bill, or something. Something's happened, and you got to get a repair person, and you got to order something for for spouse or whatever that is. And so, let's think about like the convenience of like an. So Amazon's so highly convenient for me. I probably a third of my entire life savings has gone to Amazon, but that's because I can get anything I want from there, and it can show up at my house in two days. But but think about if if something's happened. Need something, my wife needs something, I can jump out to Amazon, order it really quickly and be done. Well, you restrict that and and then away the fact that I need to get that done. So now I'm going to take the longer lunch break or something like that and I'm still going to accomplish that task. But if we go overly restrictive, then there's that potential that you know, I'm, I'm going to go outside or I'm going to make a phone call or I'm going to do something else that's going to take longer than if you allowed that activity. So it, it's a fine balance that I've seen. And so there's there's a, a, a wide range of unproductive behaviors that that could waste, you know, vast resources. And so leaders are forced to work around and, and attempt to correct them, but um, people just cannot or will not perform to their potential when the work environments are negative and in unhappy places. And and so then you get into the trust factors. And um, I, I just personally witnessed this uh, where you've got in a, a team, there's a team of about 25, 26 people. And so we're building these approval processes. As we're building these approval processes, they go through and, and it goes to a group of about 10 people. And one of those 10 people they need to approve it. And, and and the leader of the organization says, yeah, that that's fine, but uh, I, I still want everything to come to me. Okay. And so my point was like, well, then why why build the step for the 10 people to review it? Why not just send it to you? What you just told all your people is, I don't care if you approve it or not. It's coming to me anyway. And if I don't like what you did, I'm going to do it. So basically, I don't trust you. I don't trust any of you. And so every approval process, and there was a ton of them. So when this document comes through, he wanted you know one of the 10 people to go through it and review it and look at it. And if they approve, great, but it still goes to, goes to him. So basically, he just told all of his people, I don't trust you. And you could see the demotivating factor just on their face. They, they were just like, okay, whatever. So what am I here for? What am I doing here? Right? And so little quick statements like that. And, and and he was oblivious to that fact. Oblivious to that fact. I mean, the success of managers truly can depend on their mood management skills, their ability to consistently um, manage that, that trust level. And... and it's, it's not to say, I mean, none of us are perfect. I do it all the time, too. And one of the biggest things I had to learn um, at, at R-Squared was you know, there was something I built when, when we first started R-Squared that was me. It was just, it was mine. I, I started R-Squared um, and, and I built, I built. Um, you know, certainly had salespeople and all that kind of stuff. I'm talking about the functionality, just the functional components and so then had a team now my team had built a lot of stuff too and so i would be sitting there in front of a client and i said well when i did this or when i i was demotivating my team because even though factually i was correct what i was referring to was something i had built 2 years ago but we had built so much together and so I had to get so much better at recognizing all the I's need to be we's and, and, and all that kind of stuff. I was demotivating my team. I had no idea I was doing it. And I didn't mean to. It wasn't an ego thing. I was just in my head. I was going back to something I had done. And I said, well, when I did this over here, but it doesn't matter if I did it. It doesn't matter if he did it. it, it well, we did it. We're a team. We represent the organization. We do it together. We're a team. I had to learn. And so it... it just little things like that. We have to pick up on and make sure that we're, we're generating a, a, a mood that generates ambition, that generates confidence, that generates trust. We can't just—I I mean, just even a quick statement like that. You know, I, I had a, a sales guy, phenomenal sales guy, and we used to pick on each other. We used to we used to have derogatory comments towards each other, but it was funny. Um, but we we stopped doing that because. We, we realized, although it was funny to us, it, it, it put out a negative con- context to other people, and it really wasn't healthy for us to do that to each other. And um, it, it, it was like almost a fraternity boy kind of thing. Hey, right? you know, what's up, dummy? You know, no. No. It, as we started to read positive intelligence, we started to read some of these other books. It just wasn't, that's just not good. It's, it's not good to do that. So we, we grew, we, we, we become better um one of the other big things that can really kill productivity is, is just simply not listening right people will value their own opinions right but they want others to value them as well and so i i, I watch this happen all the time is, is people are thinking about what they're going to say or what they're going to object to before the the person's done and, and it happens you know i i feel it too i'll, I'll be on a point and somebody will cut me off and i'll be like i i i was just about to say that I was just about to go there. If you'd have given me that second. right? And that happens in these communication techniques all the time. So you have to watch. You have to learn. And we have to make sure that we're doing that. But employee productivity it doesn't mean, doesn't equate more hours. And if you watch the Bureau of Labor, Labor Statistics, it's proof. We're paying them more, but their productivity isn't going up. We're working longer, but we're not producing more. So it, it's not a simple math problem. It is and always will be about the value of a person. It is and always will be the value that the individual can contribute, how much you care, and what they really provide for you that is going to make or break an organization. Culture will will eat vision for lunch. Is simply is as simple as that. So if you're struggling with employee productivity, don't go looking at the salary. Don't go looking at all those other metrics. Start thinking about how can I add value to that person? How can I add value to that team? And you'll see your productivity rise. I guarantee it. Listen, it's been fun. I appreciate all of you that are out there. And if you haven't heard it yet, I value you. I value you taking the time. to to join me every week. The the numbers uh, continue to be incredible, and I love you all for it. Uh, We're going to be out at San Diego, the PMI event, so you guys can come find me there. Uh, And we've got some fantastic shows coming up, so watch the uh, website. Go out to rickamorris.com. You can contact there. If you think you would make a fantastic guest on this show, Uh, there is now a Contact uh, contact Me page out there on the the Work-Life Balance page. Uh, where you can sign up and, and be a guest on the show. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear what you have to say. So uh, come join us. Come listen to all the fantastic uh, radio hosts. Uh, they work so hard to make this network uh, what it is. Um, much love to my engineers. Much love to uh, to Winston Price as well. And I thank you guys uh, all for what you do in, in making this uh, show a success. So we will talk to you again next Friday. You've been listening to Rick Morris on the Work-Life Balance. We'll talk to you next week.